Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Destination Disaster. I am your host, Devin Carney. Welcome to week five. This week, we're going to be discussing biological warfare, its history, and a theoretical scenario here in the United States. For those of you who may not be familiar with biological warfare, this form of warfare can trace its history back thousands of years, just as chemical warfare. Humans have always researched different methods of gaining the advantage on the battlefield, whether that be suffocating sulfur gases or launching infected corpses over the walls of a city and simply waiting for the civilians to drop dead and walk into the walls and conquer the city. In my opinion, biological warfare is far more scary and deadly than chemical warfare. World governments are some of the largest bodies that research the weaponization of extremely pathogenic viruses such as smallpox, influenza, and even anthrax. This is what keeps me up at night, because you don't have to be in a large population setting to get infected and spread the weaponized viruses. It could be as simple as filling an envelope with a pathogenic agent and mailing thousands around the country. Now, as I stated previously, biological warfare can trace its history several thousand years back to a time when raiding armies raced across the landscape, burning and pillaging cities, and expanding their influence across continents. During this time, modern medicine did not exist, and healing came in the form of prayers, bloodletting, and herbal concoctions that did little to aid in the healing of those afflicted with diseases. One of the most devastating plagues to occur during early civilization was the Black Death, better known as the Bubonic Plague. During this pandemic, it is estimated that nearly 200 million people died from this highly pathogenic bacterium, spread mainly by infected rats, and originated in China. It is believed that the Black Death spread via the Silk Road, however, there is evidence supporting that raiding Mongol armies employed the use of infected corpses by catapulting the deceased over the walls of the port city of Kaffa. It is believed that this siege is one of the many transmission routes that led to the Black Death spreading throughout Europe. According to the Demusi manuscript that was published during this time, he writes that he witnessed the catapulting of infected corpses over the walls of Kaffa, effectively spreading the plague into the walls of the city. This narrative contains some startling assertions that the Mongol army hurled plague-infected cadavers into the besieged Crimean city of Kaffa, thereby transmitting the disease to the inhabitants, and that fleeing survivors of the siege spread plague from Kaffa to the Mediterranean basin. If this account is correct, Kaffa should be recognized as one of the most spectacular incidents of biological warfare ever, with the Black Death as its disastrous consequence. If this account is indeed true, the Mongols could have been the main route of transmission leading the plague to spreading throughout Europe. This is one of the earliest and most well-recorded events that prove biological warfare was a tactic used on the battlefield. A quote by Amit Ray proves just how dangerous biological weapons are. The power of biological weapons is ten times more than the nuclear power. Unless we act fast with an open mind, any one of them can extinct the human race. This is 100% true, because without proper precautions and control measures, Biological weapons can and have made it into the wrong hands. 
Before we get into the modern implements of biological warfare, I think it's important that we identify the scientist who discovered the field of microbiology, Antoine von Leeuwenhoek. His discovery of the microworld in 1674 would lead to significant improvements in medicine, as well as his subsequent discovery of red blood cells and bacteria in 1676. Due to these important discoveries, modern medicine began to take shape, and knowledge about the human body and its processes began to make more sense. We can trace modern biological warfare back to World War I, when German forces first weaponized anthrax in an attempt to sabotage the food supply of Allied armies. German forces would inject anthrax into cattle, causing hundreds, if not thousands, of deaths into these animals. At this point, this form of warfare was far in its infancy. The Pacific Theater of War was one of the most active. In addition to the hundreds of thousands of deaths and injuries on both sides that would occur, a darker side of the war had yet to be uncovered. You remember last week when I said that I didn't want to discuss the experiments at Unit 731? Well, in the context of biological warfare, I find it imperative to identify these atrocities and war crimes that went unpunished. Throughout Unit 731 and its satellite facilities of 1644 and 100, heinous biological testing would occur in the form of human trials. Such testing as infecting prisoners with different sexually transmitted diseases, highly virulent strains of anthrax and other agents, and ultimately the dropping of plague bombs in towns and villages throughout China. During this period, those working within Unit 731 would infect prisoners with dangerous pathogens such as Yersinia pestis or the bubonic plague. Plague bombs would be dropped throughout Chinese villages and towns in 1940, beginning with larger-scale field trials in central China using biological weapons dropped from airplanes. The pathogens were cultivated by Unit 731 and shipped to Unit 1644 in Nanjing, which served as the forward base for the attacks, which continued until 1942. During the first two years, these attacks were carried out in cities along the Chang River. Of these, the large-scale attack on the city of Ningbo on October 27, 1940 is well documented and has been thoroughly investigated by the Chinese. The attack took place at 7 a.m. from heavy bombers flying a low-altitude run at 200 meters. The bombers dropped fleas, grain, and strips of cotton on the streets in the center of the city. The fleas were infected with the plague. They had ingested blood from plague-infected rats and were called plague fleas. The plague bacteria were not dissipated directly as it was considered more effective to infect the carrier and release them in order to target a specific area with a focused attack. It was also expected that the bacteria would live longer in the body of the fleas. The fleas were dropped with grain and cotton to ensure that they reached their target area, and it was also thought that the cotton would absorb some of the shock of impact on the ground. Following this test, over 100 innocent people lost their lives at the hands of the Japanese Imperial Army. This test proves exactly that it is indeed possible to develop and deploy extremely virulent pathogens with the ability to infect and kill rapidly. At the end of World War II, you would think that many of these doctors and scientists would have faced some sort of trial similar to the Nuremberg trials. However, that did not happen. General Douglas MacArthur ordered that immunity be given in exchange for the information of these experiments. We will be right back after a quick break. Welcome back. Prior to our break, we reviewed the history of biological warfare throughout the world. Now as we transition into the modern era beginning with the Cold War, you'll notice that extremely dangerous pathogens with the ability to resist treatments and spread uncontrollably are of primary concern. For this segment, we will focus primarily on the Soviet bioweapons program throughout the Cold War. 
The Soviet bioweapons program began as early as the 1920s following the First World War. Many of these early attempts were very primitive in nature. However, by the 1980s, the Soviet Union had the most sophisticated bioweapons program in the world. The Soviets had developed many antibiotic-resistant agents such as plague, anthrax, tularemia, and glanders, according to an interview with a doctor who worked in the program, Dr. Kenneth Albiek. What you are about to hear now is an excerpt from the interview that was conducted in 1998 with Dr. Albiek. Additionally, I will link the entire interview in the show notes, as I think it's fascinating to learn just how the Soviets planned to use their biological weapons. Under Soviet military doctrine, biological weapons were divided into three main categories, strategic biological weapons, operational biological weapons, and strategic operational biological weapons. Contagious agents such as smallpox and plague were intended for long-range strategic attacks against the territories of the United States, Great Britain, and some other European countries, because nobody wanted to use these weapons close to our own troops. Smallpox and plague were developed for this purpose because of their high mortality rate, contagiousness, and ability to cause epidemics or even pandemics. Operational biological weapons were intended for use against deep military targets about 100 to 150 kilometers behind the front lines, such as rear services and reinforcements. These agents, such as tularemia, brucellosis, glanders, and VEE, would not generally kill soldiers, but would incapacitate them and thereby make it easier to destroy an enemy's defenses. Finally, strategic operational biological weapons would be used to strike both strategic and operational targets. In his case, we are talking about agents such as anthrax and the rickets seal disease Q-fever. In 1989, I met with a general in charge of the 15th Directorate to discuss the final list of biological weapons that would be used in future wars. We decided to replace brucellosis and Q-fever with newer agents. Brucellosis would be replaced by glanders, a more efficient weapon, and instead of Q-fever, I'm sorry to say, I suggested Marburg virus, a deadly hemorrhagic fever. The final list included smallpox and plague as strategic weapons, tularemia, glanders, and VEE as operational weapons, and anthrax and Marburg virus as strategic operational weapons. Several other agents were under development, including Lassa fever, Ebola, Machupo virus, Bolivian hemorrhagic fever, Argentine hemorrhagic fever, and Russian spring summer encephalitis. If released, these agents could have led to the complete destruction of countries thanks to their antibiotic resistance and ability to spread uncontrollably. Throughout the Cold War, the United States and several countries around the world experienced several attempts at biological weapons attacks. However, in 1984, the United States would experience its first act of bioterrorism committed by the Rajneeshi cult that occurred in the Dalles, Oregon between August 29th and October 10th, 1984. The method of attack for this cult was the deliberate poisoning of food with salmonella throughout 10 restaurant locations. Throughout this attack, over 700 would become ill as a result of the deliberate poisoning with zero reported death. Following our last break, we will review a theoretical attack involving biological agents. As we transition into our final segment for the week, please note that the theoretical scenario is just that. There is no indication of any active attack occurring and all information shared throughout this piece is purely hypothetical. On the morning of October 17, 2021, Members of an extremist militia with ties to the white nationalists have developed a biological agent known as M1. This agent is a weaponized form of smallpox and is antibiotic resistant. 
Members with this extremist organization spread out to various cities across the country aiming for public transit networks and regional airports where security may not be as heavy. At 9.15 a.m. at the height of rush hour on the East Coast, the first wave of attacks occur in New York City, Baltimore, Boston, Washington, D.C., Norfolk, Charlotte, Atlanta, Orlando, and Miami. This agent is airborne and can hardly be identified by little more than a faint sweet smell that was added chemically by scientists at the compound. Within the hour, much of the agent has been dispersed around these major cities and initial symptoms begin to show. Many report vomiting, back pain, and overall discomfort as the smallpox begin to take hold. The waves of attacks continue throughout the day, and by the end of day one, over 150,000 are infected by the weaponized agent. By day two, 200,000 innocent civilians are infected, and detection systems at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are alerting to a biological agent release. These filters are placed in many major cities throughout the United States and report data every 24 hours. Those initially infected begin to rapidly decline as the weaponized agent was genetically altered to evolve into the extremely deadly hemorrhagic form of smallpox. Those infected begin to show symptoms such as bruising and have red eyes. Day 3 begins, over 30,000 deaths have been reported, making this the most deadly biological attack in the world's history. The CDC as well as Homeland Security has deployed thousands of doctors, nurses, and supporting medical teams to set up field hospitals to quarantine and monitor those infected. It's evident that this weaponized agent is going to kill far more than the 30,000 reported cases. Over a period of six months, researchers raced to develop therapeutics aimed at helping to treat and slow the progression of the smallpox to allot time to vaccine research and how to counteract the genetically modified agent. In total, over 700,000 deaths will be reported with more continuing to stream in due to those who didn't report symptoms or simply died at home. Stadiums that once housed joy and celebrations are now mass burial sites that are home to the deadliest recorded biological terror attack ever committed. Thanks to advancements in technology and detection systems, it's incredibly hard to deploy such agents without the early warning detection systems identifying and alerting those who monitor these systems. Since the 2001 anthrax attacks and the consequent expansion of federal biodefense expenditures, USA MRIID has been joined at Fort Detrick by sister biodefense agencies of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. These, along with much older Foreign Disease Weed Science Research Unit of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, now constitute the National Interagency Confederation for Biological Research. Thank you for joining me on Episode 5 this week. Please feel free to check out my other social media platforms, such as Instagram, where I am at Destination Period Disaster, where I frequently post and release the upcoming week's topic the day after the release of a new episode. I am also on Twitter at Dest underscore Disaster, that is D-E-S-T underscore D-I-S-A-S-T-E-R, and on TikTok at Destination Disaster Podcast. Thank you, and I'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.